0: Matthew 25 verses 1 to 13. The parable of the ten virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, Keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour.
1: Good morning. I can see from your faces you're wondering, what is she going to say about that? I love those passages in the Bible that make you wonder, one, either what was Jesus thinking when he said this, or um, two, what? what do we do with that today? So... I'm very excited to talk about this parable today. Before we do that, uh, let's come before God and still our hearts. God, we thank you for your word, which is alive, your word that speaks to us. And God, we ask now that the Spirit would open our eyes and our hearts to what you have to say to each one of us today. God, I give you um, my words and ask that you would use them, that they would be helpful and encouraging. We ask this in Jesus' name and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. So, how many of you have been to a wedding before? Great. How many have had your own wedding? Okay, and was anyone ever at a wedding where it started very late? (laughs) All right, I wanna hear those stories. I won't ask you to tell me now. Um, But yeah, I think it's funny that we have this day that we plan for, um, you know, sometimes months, sometimes years in advance, and it's still a time where you're starting late. For my own wedding, I don't think I was late. (laughs) Um, But if you ask Bruce, he would tell you that I was quite late. Um, and it wasn't me. I was actually waiting for our guest to arrive. So I think I was maybe 10 minutes late walking down the aisle. But uh, the reason it felt like I was so late to him was because of the weather. You see, I had one prayer for our wedding day. I found this beautiful garden that I wanted to get married in. And um, we planned the date for the beginning of May. So we all live in Canada the beginning of May. It can be nice, but it can also be snowing or raining. And I had this beautiful garden. There were um, you know, buds that were starting to come up and this greenery and these winding pathways. And that's what I wanted for the ceremony. There wasn't really a backup plan, <laughs> so that was it. So I said, God, please let us have good weather on this day and God answered that prayer, and it ended up being about 24 degrees by the time um, it came time to walk down the aisle, um, which was great for me. We got our outdoor ceremony, um, but bad for the groomsmen who were all standing out there in their three-piece suits. Bad for uh, my family, which has a lot of redheads. Um, There were a lot of sunburns, and people were suffering a little bit, but it worked out. Um, In the end, it was a very good day, and um, yeah, I think everyone recovered from having to wait a little bit longer than expected. Now, in our parable today, we're hearing about a wedding, a wedding where the bridegroom, the, the man, what we would call the groom today, the bridegroom is taking forever to arrive. For some reason, there's a delay, and we don't really know what the delay is, um, but we know that there are these 10 women, these 10 virgins or bridesmaids, who are waiting outside for him to arrive. And once he arrives, they can go into the wedding feast. Now, our weddings today are a little bit different than weddings were back in this, uh, this culture in ancient Judaism. In ancient Judaism you would actually have four stages to a wedding um, or to a marriage. So the first stage would happen when the bride and groom were children. Their parents would decide who they were going to marry and they would uh, make that known to the families and pledge the children to one another. Once the children reached a certain age, um, usually when uh, the girl uh, reached puberty, they would then have a ceremony where the groom would come, he would bring um, a glass of wine and present it to his bride. And if she accepted, if she said yes, then that was official. Their pledge became a betrothal. Um, So this is a word we hear a lot in the Christmas story, that Mary and Joseph were betrothed to one another. And it's not like an engagement that we would have today, but it's actually this legally binding thing, so that if you want to break it, you have to file for a divorce, or however they filed things back then. So you had the pledge and the betrothal, and then you had a period of waiting. And while you were waiting, uh, the groom would go away, and he would prepare a house for his bride to live in. He would build a house, get the rooms ready, and uh, the bride would have to wait, and she wouldn't actually know when the groom would come and get her. She had an idea of when this would be, so when the time was getting close, she and her bridesmaids would all uh, wait outside of her house and wait for the groom to actually come. And it could be a matter of days or weeks, depending on how much she was getting ready for her. So they had this significant period, period of waiting and not knowing when the groom would come. Finally, when the groom did come, he would take them um, to either her house or the parents' house, and there would be a big wedding feast, and everyone would celebrate together. So keep that, that wedding structure in mind as we are going through this parable, that um, it was a little bit different than our weddings today, and there was a lot of waiting periods. Now, this parable is called, um, often called an eschatological parable, but it's something that refers to uh, the end or the judgment time. It refers to the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven, if you've been following along in our series, uh, this is a phrase that talks about the reign of God on earth. So the time when Jesus comes to earth and that reign on earth begins. And we're living in that time now. Now the Greek word that is used in this parable is parousia. It's fun to say. Why don't you try saying it? Perousia. Yeah, You can go ahead. And speak a little louder. Perusia. Yeah, it's fun. Perusia. So this is a word that refers to Christ's coming, but not as a future one-time event. It refers to Christ's coming as something that is ongoing, that has multiple stages, just like a Jewish wedding ritual. So the coming of God or the reign of God, is a time that we're in, but it is a continuous process. It has stages. And if we think of the parousia in wedding terms, right now we are in this time of betrothal, where we know that the groom is off, preparing a place for us, and we're waiting. We are waiting eagerly for him to arrive and to take us to the wedding feast. This is what it means to be waiting for wedding day. We are waiting for the kingdom of heaven to be fully realized. We can see glimpses of it now, but we're not quite there. The world is still in trouble. There's a lot of brokenness, a lot of division, a lot of pain. And when the kingdom is realized, we won't see that anymore. We will see peace and justice and all will be right. Now, I want to talk about this group of women that we read about. There's a few things that really stood out to me about them. Now, we know that five of them are wise, and five of them are foolish. We're told that right off the bat. But there's something else about them, and it's that aside from the amount of oil they bring with them, they're all pretty much the same. There's nothing that is distinct to distinguish them from one another. It seems they're all part of the same community. They all come to wait for the bridegroom together. They're all dressed the same and they can't be told apart except to know that some have more oil than others. More than that, even though some are wise and some are foolish, they all get distracted they all fall asleep. It's not that the foolish fall asleep while the wise are waiting awake. No, they all get so distracted that the bridegroom is delayed that they decide to take a nap. And I think that their sameness is an important part of this parable. As we're thinking about judgment day, who is in and who's out, this parable is telling us that Outwardly, you can't actually tell who is wise and who is foolish. Again, it has nothing to do with their clothing or their nationality. It has nothing to do with their education or the way they speak. The wise ones can only be told apart because they have brought extra oil to wait for the bridegroom. Now, it can be a little bit Intimidating talking about Judgment Day, this day that Christ finally returns and people are separated. And the parable in Matthew 25 is followed by two more that talk about what happens on Judgment Day and talk about the separation of people, the sheep from the goats, or the wise from the foolish. And I see that reading this and putting ourselves in the parable might cause a little bit of anxiety. Because, of course, we want to be wise. How do we know that we are on the right side? How can we ensure that we are not separated with the foolish? And this is a natural question, but there's also a theme that we've seen over the last weeks that runs throughout the parables. This theme that those who enter the kingdom of heaven, that those who enter the great wedding feast... It's for those that are unexpected. We'll be surprised when the time comes. We can't tell who will be in and who will be out. And I think that this parable is showing us that we don't need to worry about who is in and who is out. See, the five wise and the five foolish foolish virgins They're all waiting to be let into the wedding feast. And when the time comes for the bridegroom to arrive and they realize that they don't have enough oil, there's no panic, there's no, oh, too bad. There's still this assumption that everyone will be going into the wedding feast. They're working off this idea that everyone is going into the party. And I think that shows us that Our concern as readers is not who is in and who is out. Our concern is not who will be judged and how they will be judged, and it's not when this judgment will happen. A lot of effort and resources have been placed into trying to figure out when this day will happen. But when it comes down to it, it's not really any of our business. That's God's business. That's God's plan. Our concern should be not with who is in and out, but how can we be wise as we are waiting? And the Bible distinguishes a lot between those who are wise and those who are fools. And I'm guessing for most of us, we don't really use that term fool very much, um, unless you like to imitate Mr. T or um, unless you're my dad who loves the book of Proverbs, and I remember, as I was growing up, my dad, he would often respond to me by quoting Bible verses at me, and I have no idea what I was saying, but verses I would get often were from Proverbs that says, "The fool says in his heart, "There is no God," from Proverbs one." He would also talk about How fools despise wisdom and instruction. And those verses, they really stuck with me as I grew up. Especially the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we're talking about acquiring wisdom, we need to have this thing, this thing called the fear of the Lord. Now, fear here is not about being afraid of God. That is not what God is telling us to do. To fear God means to hold Him in reverence, to honor Him. One Bible scholar put it this way, and I love it that to fear God is to believe that God has good intentions. To fear God is to believe that God has good intentions. To be wise, then, is to believe that God is who he says he is. That he is who, who we see revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. That he is who we see when we experience the power of the Holy Spirit. To fear God is to believe that God is good and that God wants good for us. To be foolish, on the other hand, is to reject God in our hearts. And that's an important piece, too, this rejection of God in our hearts. It's not an outward thing that we can see, it's not something that we can even see in other people. It's something that we know about ourselves and that God knows about us. You know, we can go through the outward motions of Christianity. We can say the right things. We can know the right verses. We can wave signs that say, yes, Jesus is Lord. But that's not what God is looking at. God is looking at the state of our hearts. When it comes down to it, what do we believe about God in our hearts? And we have these these 10 virgins, these 10 women who are carrying this extra oil and as I read the parable that's what I really see is that extra oil that they have it's that intimacy with God an intimacy that we are given with God through the power of the Holy Spirit you know the Holy Spirit is the one who who opens our eyes to the truth about God the Holy Spirit is how we experience God today, and I want to take a moment just to uh, talk about who the Holy Spirit is, because I've had this experience that when I tell people, uh, "Yes, I attend a Baptist church," more than once, they've said, "Oh, so you don't believe in the Holy Spirit?" and they kind of whisper it. <laughs> but I say, "No, no, we do. We love the Holy Spirit. Um, we're very we're tight with the Holy Spirit." So I don't know where this perception came from that Baptists aren't all about the Spirit, but uh, that's okay. So just to to bring it down for a minute, we're going to talk about who the Holy Spirit is. So we have God who is revealed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is described as the breath and the power of God. The Holy Spirit is the only person of the Trinity who is described in female pronouns. I won't talk more about that. That's just a little Abby bonus for you this morning. And the Holy Spirit was given to us. God revealed himself through Christ. Christ died and went to heaven and left us with the Holy Spirit so that we didn't have to be alone, so that we didn't have to do life alone. So while the Bible tells us that God the Father and God the Son are in heaven, it tells us that the Spirit is present and with us. The Spirit is here in this room. The Spirit lives within us. And that is God's presence and power on earth. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit comforts. The Spirit brings healing and reconciliation. The Spirit is the one who gives us unity when we have 1,000 reasons to be divided and against each other. And it is the Spirit who empowers us in different ways at different times to respond to God and to participate in the reign of God on earth, to participate in bringing about the kingdom. So how do we get the Spirit? And this is something that Sam actually talked about last week, um, but in case you missed it, I'll just go over it again. But Sam gave us those verses, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. And the passage continues that God wants to give his children Good things. God wants to give us the Spirit. So we receive the Spirit by asking. We ask and we receive. Now, the Spirit is something that we can ask for, but we can't share it with others, we can't give the Spirit to others that's something that only God can do. And as we read this passage, we see that the virgins who are without oil, they're asking, share your oil, give it to us. And it seems like kind of a jerk move that these other women are like, no, we can't share it with you. But they're not sharing it because they are stingy or aren't generous. They're not sharing it because it can't be shared. They can't Give what is not theirs to give away. So they tell these women, go, go and buy more. And we can do that too. We can tell people how to find God. We can tell people where to go. But we can't give them the Spirit. We can't give them God. Now, these women, as they go to get more oil so that they can burn their lamps, they don't make it back in time. They don't make it back, and the bridegroom comes, and the doors close, and they're left out in the cold. They're left out of the wedding feast. This seems harsh, that as they're knocking on the door, It's opened, and the person at the door says, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. But this story is showing us that we need to be ready. Knowing God isn't something that we should put off until later. Knowing God isn't something that we should do when we're older or at a certain point in our lives, or when we feel we're good enough for God. I loved Caitlin's blessing this morning, just showing us and showing children that God wants us to come as we are, not when we're better or good enough, but as we are. And this is what we're called to do, to be ready for this day of judgment, that will come suddenly and unexpectedly. The good news is that we're not at a time in history where the doors have been closed. We're not there yet, we're in that time of waiting. Everyone has been invited to the wedding feast. Everyone is welcome to come. We're in the interim. So as we think about the kingdom of heaven, as we think about the point in history that we are at, a question that we can ask ourselves today is, am I living as if I believe everything God says about himself? Am I living as if I believe what God says about himself is true? No, we are waiting for God's kingdom to be realized on earth. I find that something that the older I get, the more I want it to come. When I was a child and listening to his banner over me, um, I remember the ladies in my church, they loved that song for like the tambourines and they would bring out all the tambourines and we would sing that song. So I think it's an old song too. But I remember thinking, well, I don't want Jesus to come back yet. I'm not ready. I have things to do, right? I want to live life. And that's, I think, an innocent point of view. When you don't experience pain. When you don't see the pain that the world is in. Because the more we see that, the more we see this suffering. And how things are unjust. We want justice to come. The more we see people dying young, experiencing sickness. We want God's reign to come where that won't exist anymore. We pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Bring your kingdom so there is an end to all this violence and disease and suffering. But we're all waiting right now. That hasn't happened. The kingdom of God is not realized yet. So, as we're waiting, what do we do? And the truth is like the virgins, we will all get distracted and we will all fall asleep. Because it's taking a long time, longer than we would expect it to take, at least. And it's okay to get distracted and fall asleep. That doesn't exclude you from entering the wedding. It just means that you're human and that life is tiring. And sometimes you need to sleep. You need to take a break. One of my favorite things to do as a reverend, um, I was ordained a few years ago, and that meant that I could start officiating weddings, which is something I really, really love to do. I love seeing families come together, I love the celebration, and I love the food that often comes, always comes with weddings. And with our present day weddings, we usually have a significant period of waiting. Uh, Maybe not as long as in Jewish times, ancient Jewish times, but we'll have a few months to a year where the couple has become engaged and now they're in a period of waiting for their wedding day. And during this time, people get very caught up in planning the venue, the meal, the seating chart. Planning the seating chart for our wedding nearly caused me to call off the wedding because everyone has their requests, right? Certain ants don't want to sit with certain other ants, and friends need to be seated here And it's like a puzzle that you're trying to do, but the pieces don't actually fit anywhere. You just have to throw them all on and beg forgiveness later. But there's a lot to do for planning a wedding. You can get very caught up in it, and it can kind of take over your life. And I think, um, I mean, brides are known for being very calm and reasonable, right? Like, it's not a stressful time planning. But I often tell couples as they're in this period of planning that... Don't get so caught up in the planning of your wedding that you forget to spend time together, that you forget to focus on your relationship. Because your wedding is not actually about your wedding. Your wedding is about your marriage. And while you want the day to reflect that and you want everyone to be happy with where you're seated, what you don't want is to get to your wedding day, have it go off perfectly, And then you get on with your life and realize you don't actually know the person you married anymore because you were so focused on the planning that you forgot about the relationship. And I think a great fault of the church historically has been that we are focused too much on judgment day, that we are focused too much on who is in and who is out. And we want to divide people up accordingly. And this can cause us to forget that God gave us Jesus for our good. And Jesus is not just a ticket into heaven. Jesus offers us a relationship. A relationship that we can have by the Spirit of God. And it's a relationship that requires time. It requires a daily living with and being with and listening to and talking to. And this spirit that we get, this spirit allows us to participate in the bringing of God's kingdom on earth. Because as we look around us, we see that People aren't afraid of hell because they're living hell here on earth already. And they need to know that the promise of God is not some far-off future thing, but it is for right here and right now. So we can listen to and we can act in accordance with the Spirit. And if you want some homework, you can go on uh, to Matthew 25 and read the next two parables. Because that talks about what happens when we live according to the Spirit. How do we act? How do we respond to God? But we're not going to talk about that this morning. Because the first step is having that intimate time to develop our relationship with God. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, these are the words that Jesus gave us to pray. And again, it's not a promise that one day things will be better. No, it's a prayer that, God, bring your kingdom here. Let your will be done here and now on earth as it is in heaven. And When we pray this prayer, we are asking for God's reign to be realized on earth. We are asking for justice to roll down like waters and righteousness like a never-ending stream. We are asking for the church to be an example of unity. We are asking for reconciliation and peace and for love to have the final say. So, if you're wondering again what that looks like, you can go home and read the rest of Matthew, Matthew 25. We're also going to be helping you out with that over the next eight weeks as we celebrate Lent starting on March 2nd. We're going to be talking about what it means to unclutter our lives, to make space for God, to make space to hear His voice to hear what he has to say to us, and so that we can respond to God's invitation. So my prayer for you today is that you would experience the Holy Spirit in a new way, maybe for the first time, or maybe just in a different way than you've experienced the Spirit before. I don't know what it is that you need as you sit here this morning. But I know that God longs to give you good gifts. I know that God longs to be good to you, that his intentions are good and that he wants good things for his children. So I encourage you to ask. Ask for the spirit, ask God for whatever it is you need. And then, live as if you believe God is who he says he is. Live as if you believe God is just and holy and righteous and loving. And live knowing that you, that we are all invited to a seat at the table for this great wedding feast. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for the invitation that you have given us. And we thank you that you are good and that you will are good. So God, as we sit this morning and listen for your voice, speak to us. Show us what it is we need to ask for. And then, God, by your Spirit, may we be empowered to live a life that is honoring to you and that is showing others your love. We ask this in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen.